So when it comes to airway management, there are a lot of things we need to know about airway management. And in airway management, we are focused mainly on artificial airway management. Wherein when there is an obstruction in our airway, in our breathing pathway, uh, when there has been the creation of an artificial airway, how can we manage that? What are the do's and don'ts about managing an artificial airway? It is important for the NCLEX and it is important for us to know those things and be safeguarded in our NCLEX. The first portion of airway management, we talk about pulse oximetry and O2 therapy, wherein we discuss um, O2, which helps maintain adequate cellular perfusion in our body so when we exchange O2 for CO2 from the atmosphere we <clears throat> are definitely um, trying to help ourselves to live in a better manner because without the cells having O2 the cells cannot survive if the cells do not survive we as humans cannot also survive because we live on our cells the cells is the basic unit of life from cells we go to tissues from tissues, we go to organs, from organs, we go to organ system, then we become a full person. That's how it works. <clears throat> so any problem with the cells, the cells living freely, our body gets our body get affected. And that will pose so much threat to our existence. Now, when it comes to O2, <clears throat> there are other acute and chronic illnesses that pose more risk, um, that pose more risk that we, that we cannot have our exchanges of gases in the in the adequate fraction these conditions include like you have like cystic fibrosis you have conditions like a pneumonia asthma and different other conditions that might just impair our airway from having normal exchanges so these conditions sometimes lead, uh, uh, the little artificial airway creation and once we are finding it difficult to exchange gases, what happens to us? our body runs into hypoxemia, which will deprive us from having our requisite amount of O2 in our body to survive. Um, when this occurs, then it leads to um, opening the artificial airway, where we talk about the tracheostomy. Now, when there's a tracheostomy, the most difficult Part becomes uh, how can we manage the trick? How can we manage it? How can we um, provide those medium that it cannot slip out? If it slips out, what can we do? What are the kinds of tricks that we know uh, that the English wants us to know? These are important topics that you have to have an adequate control. You want to have control over these topics because in the English, they're going to have questions on these things. And if you do not study them well, uh, they're going to be so confusing to the point that uh, when you do not study them well, you're going to have so much problems in just dealing with uh, the, the uh, in just dealing with these questions uh, in the English. So I always want us when we reach to this uh, part of the note, when we reach to these uh, these topics in the note, I want for us to like put our time and really like master them because studying it is one thing and mastering them is the biggest thing. You want to master it to the point that when you get to the endless, when we talk about trick, your mind, your heart should be at ease. You do not want to see a question in the anchor from the topic that you've read, but you do not have adequate control over the topic. 
This, this can, uh, can, scare, uh, it can scare us and makes you to lose confidence in yourself for the English. So, epitin airway is um, our nursing priority, uh, which calls for mobilizing uh, the secretion, suctioning it, and doing other procedure. When someone has an artificial airway, there are a lot of things we do. We go in, we want to like, uh, uh, take the secretion, have them mobilized in the central airway, go in and suction the central airway, do other procedures like cough assist, chest physiotherapy. Those are things you want to do to clear the airway, most particularly for individuals who are bedridden. And this becomes this become the challenge we're going to face when we are dealing with tracheostomy. The second portion of the tracheostomy talks about pulse oximetry. Now, in pulse oximetry, um, it is a non-invasive procedure where we use the pulse oximeter probe and place it on body parts, on the ear lobes, on the fingertip. Um, it can be placed on the toes. On a lot of places on our body, we can place the pulse oximeter probe to know our O2 saturation. That's the main thing that we use pulse oximeter for. Now, the last time we talked about, we said when we are using pulse oximetry, our normal value should be around 95%. Yes, that's the normal value, but sometimes it drops below 95%. It goes to around 91, 92. It's still not bad. It becomes difficult. It becomes bad when it drops below 90. The moment it hits 89, there'll be an, there'll be an alarm. The sound, it'll sort of make sound, pam, pam, pam. Meaning it is like uh, letting us know that the pulse oximetry uh, the machine is dropping or our perfusion, our saturation of O2 is not adequate. That's why the machine is making that sound. So the machine is going to alarm, pam, 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 until the patient can regain uh, his or her normal saturation above 90. That's when the machine is going to stop. Now, many at times, with someone who is bedridden, with their movement in the bed, like uh, they try to move or try to uh, move in the bed, move their body, it drops uh, the pulse oximetry reading. It, that can just drop it. At that, uh, at that point in time, if it drops, the alarm going to come up. It's going to go off. Now, when the alarm goes off, we want to go in and see what's happening to the patient first before looking at the machine. Every time in the ankles, when you have a situation where you have to look at a machine and a patient, the patient comes before the machine. You want to make sure the patient is okay, is comfortable before you can turn to look at the machine. If you don't do that, guess what's going to happen? The machine might be having some problem, but it might, do, it might have derived from the patient. So patient comes first. So if you were to a patient and then you heard uh, the alarm going off, the feeding tube going off. Now, when you get to the bedside, the first thing you do is you want to view the patient. Take a look at the patient. Just stir, just like a, just just a, like like observe the patient and see what's happening to the patient. If the patient is okay, if the patient is comfortable, then you turn to the machine. I'm saying this to say you, you're gonna have a question in the ankles. Like a patient was lying in bed on the feeding tube and the feeding tube starts the, 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 feeding, the feeding tube started going off. What would the nurse immediate action? A assess the patient. B, look at the feeding tube and see whether the, the feeding tube is flowing regularly at regular, uh, uh, regular drop factor. They'll give you these this case scenarios. You want to look at the patient first. 
Pitching is the priority before the feeding or before the machine. Now, so under here, we talk about this and uh, we said if it drops below 90, it becomes bad. The worst, worst case scenario of a pulse oximetry is when it drops below 85. Then the individual has a severe airway problem or airway impairment. Now, so, so at times, if it drops below 89, it alarm, uh, the alarm goes up one or two times. That's normal. Pam, pam, it goes back to regular, uh, to regular rate. Maybe the patient, the patient might twist and or turn in the bed. Maybe they might hyper in the neck or they might flex the neck. So those things can put uh, some other uh, uh, stress on the machine and it might drop, a little, it might drop, it might return back just within time. Now, but if it persists, a persistent alarm, the alarm is going off persistently, that should raise concerns. So we want to go and see what's the problem. If it drops below 85, indeed the individual is having a serious airway problem. Above 90, we good, but our normal range should be at least 95. Meaning the patient is normal, no problem, everything is 100% at ease. If it drops below 95, 91, 92, we can check it, but it does not mean that the patient is the, the patient needs care. No, if it drops below 89, that's when we want to go in and provide care for the patient. That's the second portion of the airway. Now, the third portion is air O2 therapy. Now, in the O2 therapy, um, we discuss about these things. And in the O2 therapy, um, when you have O2 by the patient bedside, the, uh, the machine, there are so many do's and don'ts. You want to make sure that these things are not done by the patient. Like, like the fire area, where you have the fire, the O2 machine should, the O2 tank should be kept away from the fire area. There are certain clothes you cannot wear uh, near the fire, uh, near the O2. You want to monitor the patient respiratory rate, the pattern and the level of consciousness, the patient O2 saturation, and the patient arterial blood gases. These things should be monitored when a patient has O2 uh, flowing. You want to also make sure that the patient uh, must create a secure seal over over the nose and mouth. If the patient has um, a mask, like uh, the patient has a non-rebreather mask, the patient has a rebreather mask, they have the aerosol mask, those masks, if they are to cover the mouth and the nose, you want to make sure that they are securely placed around the mouth and the nose for the patient to be able to breathe in and breathe out adequately. These are things you want to be sure of when you have patients on these masks when you are caring for them. You want to also assess the patient or, or hypoxemia. You want to monitor the patient. You want to know why the patient is having hypercabia, increased level of CO2 in the body because the CO2 level should not go above the normal when the patient is on this oxygen um, or machine. Now, you want to make sure that uh, a patient O2 level is equal to what is expected. The patient should, if the patient is going into hypercabia, they're going to have some symptoms. Uh, in the case of hypercabia, um, now in the case of hypercabia, the patient will have um, some problem. They will have the O2 level will be increased. 
Now, what happened in this case, we do some other, we use to, to use machine to take the patient tidal volume, the patient uh, O2 level, the patient CO2 level. Now, for the CO2, we do not want it to be high. If it is high in the patient, while the patient is lying down, what happens, the patient will, will start to have some, they'll become restless. So if the CO2 is higher than normal, patient will become restless, they will have hypertension, they're going to have headache, and they're going to have, um, and, and, and they're going to have like a fast heart rate and other things going to be coming if the patient has hypercabia or hypercabia in the case of an O2 therapy. Now, you also want to make sure that you want to auscultate the patient breath sounds. Remember we did normal breath sounds and abnormal breath sounds. When you are reading these things and you are moving forward, you want to remember the normal and the abnormal breath sound. You want to write these things down to look at them. What are the normal lung sound, the abnormal lung sound? What are the normal breath sound? What are the abnormal breath sound? Where can we find this? Where can we hear these normal and abnormal breath sounds on the thoracic cavity? These are things you want to remember, and we, we've done them. I just want to, I just try to try to remind you. You want to make sure you want to access the patient ABG, the patient arterial blood gases. Whether well, they are normal, they are abnormal. You want to note these things and make sure you assess them and note them. You want to promote the client who is on O2. The client should be you do the client over hygiene because. The client is not the client is breathing, but their mouth is open, and you have air going in and coming out and other things. Now, if this is if this is happening to the client, the client will have dry mucous membrane of the or dry mucous membrane in the mouth. So in this case, the client might have bad breath. They might have a uh, 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 cracked lips and other things. You want to make sure as a nurse you provide the best of uh, the best of care for this patient. You want to encourage turn the patient in the bed. You want to encourage coughing, deep breathing, and other use of instinctive spirometer for the patient who is having O2. And you want to make sure the patient should be suctioned at regular interval. These are things you want to remember for a patient who is on O2 therapy. You also want to assess the patient's nutritional status because when you are lying in bed, you are not having adequate nutrition in some cases. It leads to us having bare soul. We discussed yesterday, what we discussed about yesterday, like bare soul, which we call the decubital ulcer, or, 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 other, or other decrease immunity that the patient might be exposed to. Patient who is in the bed should have increased uh, uh, protein to help them to be at the level at which they want to be. You want to assess the O2 documents and respond to O2 therapy properly. You want to treat to maintain recommended O2 or O2 saturation. You always want to titrate or titrate the O2 in uh, the O2 level to the level at which the patient needs it. We never take off the O2 abruptly. We 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 tap out the O2, reduce it until it reaches the lowest before we can discontinue O2. And we never just put on O2, we increase it straight to where it's supposed to be, uh, to the level no weight. Also titrate it little by little until we reach to the desire or to the prescribed level. You want to monitor the client with uh, depression and you want to look at the client who has low O2, O2 delivery system. You want to see the amount of O2 this client is taking in. Because we have two different 
type of O2 delivery system. We have the low O2 delivery system and we have the high O2 delivery system, which I'm going to just go, go into in few seconds from now. Now, so these are things you want to consider when you are helping a client to administer O2 for this client or for the client you are helping. Now, in O2 therapy, we have the low oxygen delivery system and we have the high oxygen delivery system. Now, the low O2, you have the simple um, face marks. You have the simple face marks. You have um, you have the nasal cannula. You have the nasal cannula. Is in double N U L A. The nasal cannula. You have the partial rebreather mark and you have the non rebreather mark. There are four that fall under the low O2. So you have the partial rebreather mark partial rebreather max and you have the non rebreather max the non rebreather max so there are four max that are found within the low o2 delivery system now this max deliver low o2 level to the patient compared to the high o2 delivery system now under here what is important about this max under here is for us to know exactly how much O2 this max deliver, how many O2 saturation this max deliver to the patient. Take for example the nasal cannula. The nasal cannula uh, uh, delivers one to six liter of O2 at a time when the patient uses um, the, 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 the the nasal cannula. Now this nasal cannula. It is a mask that is important because when you put on it, when you put it, when you put on the the uh, nasal cannula mask, it, uh, when you are when you are having a phobic uh, phobic problem, so when you are into phobia, like when you are having phobia disorder or when you are having other conditions that put you at risk for panic attack and other things, in that case, we can order for you what we call the simple uh, the sorry the nasal Cannula, because in, in the desert, in the desert cannula, it goes into your two nostrils, and then when you breathe it in, it helps to just exchange air. It remains in, and you can talk, you can eat, you can go anywhere with the with the nasal cannula. Now, unlike the other marks in here, the other marks you cannot have them on and eat. If you have an anxiety disorder, you cannot have the other marks because they're going to cover your nose and your mouth in this case. Like I remember where I work. A girl quit because um, she could not use the N95 max. She had a panic attack that was very serious. She had to leave because the N95 covers the mouth and the nose like tightly. So with that, she could not breathe and they could not uh, accommodate her using other masks in the hospital. So she had to leave. So sometimes these things happen and we should take precautions. So what if she was somebody who was bedridden and she couldn't talk? And she needed to put on N95 marks. How do we know that this patient uh, is having panic attack? How do we know? So these are factors that can uh, impair the uh, O2 delivery system, uh, O2 delivery, that we need to put in the best mechanism to always maintain our O2 flow. Now, then the next max is, 
we have the next match it's a simple face match now the simple face match deliver five to eight liter of air per minute the simple face match this simple face match um it has like 40% to 50% of of, of, of level of O2 saturation, which, which, which is the FiO2. Now, it delivers five to eight liters of air per minute, and uh, it has advantages and it has disadvantages. In this uh, simple face mask, this mask is easy to apply to the client. The client is having airway problem. It falls under the low O2 delivery system. Now, the simple face mask is more comfortable than the nasal cannula. The simple face mask is more comfortable compared to the nasal cannula. The simple face mask, um, it is also a mask that uh, it provides its own humidified O2. Now, this mask, we want to also know the mask that provides or that delivers its own humidified O2. The max that needs humidifier O2 when it is on. We have to know the differences between these masks. We have to know how much liter of air per minute is delivered at a particular time with these masks. All these masks have different variation, different indication, and they have different level of O2, O2 delivery, and they have different do's and don'ts, which we call advantages and disadvantages. For the simple face mask, let's look at the bad side. Um, the flow of the simple face mask less than five liter can result in rebreathing O2. So if you ever had a simple face mask on and it is delivering air less than five liter per minute, the client is not having help. The client is not being assisted. The client is having a serious problem. Instead of the client breathing in O2, the client will begin to breathe in the same CO2 they are putting out. And in that case, they're going to have hypercarbia condition. Going to, their CO2 level will start to increase because they are breathing in their own air in the simple face mask. Let's remember these things and let's make note on them. Let's listen to the audio because it is important you know these things, you know the differences between or among these marks I'm talking about. The simple face mask once the client is breathing less than five liter of air per minute the client is no longer breathing in oxygen but rather the client is breathing in carbon dioxide co2 which is not supposed to be breathed in for a client who is not well or even for or even for normal clients now this simple face mark also um if the client has anxiety problem it causes serious disorder for the client. It causes what we call claustrophobia for the client. A client who has claustrophobia cannot use simple face mask because the simple face mask must cover the client's nose and the mouth. I just talked about it. Now, because if, they, if, if the, their mouth is their mouth and nose get covered with the simple face mask, it puts it, it, it creates uh, anxiety for them, which they cannot cope with. So for them. They would need to use other marks other than the marks that cover their nose and their mouth, like the nasal cannula. Now, then for this simple face mask, when you have the simple face mask on, you cannot eat, you cannot drink, 
You cannot talk because your mouth and your nose are all covered. So if a client is having a simple face, man, the client needs to eat, the client needs to talk, or the client needs to uh, 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 eat, talk, or drink, we remove the simple face mark, marks, and the client eats, drink, and talk after we replace it. But guess what? We do not remove it without putting another mask in place because the client is not breathing well. So if we remove the face mask for the client to talk without a remedy, it causes the client to go into another bigger problem. So what we do as nurses, every client who has a simple face mask, who has a non-rebreather mask, who has a partial rebreather mask, these clients should have nasal cannula marks by them or with them at all point in time at any point in time we, we remove uh the simple we remove the simple face marks the non-rebreather marks the rebreather marks for the client to talk breathe or eat we replace the marks with the nasal cannula so the client can put in the nasal cannula and remove the simple face mark the non-rebreather marks the rebreather marks when the client is talking, drinking, or eating. After eating, we go back and remove the uh, remove the nasal cannula marks and put on the and put back on the client uh, simple face marks that cover the mouth and the nose. In short, when we are having um, marks that covers both our nose and our mouth like this. We cannot talk because you wouldn't hear our voices or you, or, or you wouldn't hear the patient's voice. You cannot drink because your mouth is sealed up by the mask. You cannot uh, 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 eat because your mouth is also sealed up by the mask. So what you do is you remove uh, the simple face mask or you, you remove the mask covering the both mouth and nose and you put in the nasal cannula. At this point, it's in. And you can breathe, you can talk, you can do other things. So that's what I'm talking about in, in the nutshell. Now, um, also, you want to make sure marks that covers the mouth and the nose. You want to make sure those marks are not this, uh, the, the point at which the marks is present against the skin. You want to keep the skin area moist. You want to make sure it is not having cracks or breakdown in skin integrity. These are things you want to make sure they are in place when a client has face marks. Then we talk about um, the next is the partial rebreather mark. In the partial rebreather mark for clients who having airway problem, these clients um, they cover both their mouth and their nose, and that's why I'm talking about. Our, you kept hearing, uh, you kept hearing me talking about simple face marks, non-rebreather marks, and the partial rebreather marks. These three marks cover both the mouth and the nose. So when they are, when these marks are on the client, you got to monitor those things. And for this particular uh, partial rebreather marks, the client breathes in six to ten liter of air per minute. Six to ten liter of air per minute. It is important to note how much air is breathed in with each of these masks. For this mask, it delivers 40% or 70% of air to the patient. In short, it delivers 40 to 70% of air to the patient when the patient is, when the patient is, um, is having this mask on. Now, 
This simply means the balance of 60 to 30% or 30% of the air the client can get it from elsewhere, but it delivers exact this is the amount of air it delivers to the client. It delivers six to ten liters of air per minute, which is 40% of the client total air needed to breathe. Now, in this particular partial rebreather max, um, the max has a reservoir. Please remember this particular max. The sim the partial rebreather max has a reservoir. It has a side pocket in short. It has a side bag. So the bag on the side is with is there to collect certain things I'm going to talk about in the uh, in the GV. Now the simple uh, sorry, the partial rebreather max contains a reservoir bag attached with no valve, which allows the client to rebreathe up to one third of exhaled air together with room air. So the, this particular part of the builder mask contains um, a pocket. It has a pocket, which we refer to as we say it has a reservoir. This pocket is also called reservoir. Now the reservoir in here, what it is there for? It is there to allow the client to breathe in one third of the air breathe out. So this reservoir is hanging on the side of the of the partial rebreather max when the client put out co2 portion of the co2 that is put out by the client remains in that reservoir and the client is breathing in and other things the client is also uh, this or uh, 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 this particular exhale air so in a reservoir, the client will have exhaled air in that reservoir, meaning the air the client is breathing out will be saved or will be stored within that reservoir. So when the client is breathing in the new O2, one third of the exhaled air that is kept within the reservoir goes back in the client nostril or in the client lungs along with the uh, 40 to 70% of O2 the client is breathing in. That's the significance of the reservoir. And that particular air is warm. The warmness of that air is to create humidification, which will prevent the client airway from becoming dried up. That's the reason why the client is having that partial uh, reservoir to recollect exhaled air that, that, that was kept within that particular area. That's what happening in there. Now, also for this particular uh, partial rebreather marks, uh, it has some disadvantages. Complete deflation of the reservoir bed during inspiration causes CO2 to build up. So you never want to... The reservoir bed that is attached to the partial rebreather max should never go deflated. At any point in time, a deflection of this particular reservoir will make the client to breathe in more CO2, which is not necessary for the client to breathe in because normally we breathe out CO2 and take in O2. So if this bed is deflected, the client will start to breathe in CO2, which will increase the client's CO2 level in their blood, which is not healthy for the cells. Now, also for this particular mask, um, the client who have claustrophobia 
cannot use this max or the most use it with caution because if they use it and it is not monitored, the client can have phobic attack that might take the client away easily or sooner than expected. These are things we want to remove for our partial rebuilder max. You want to always keep the reservoir back. Um, uh, you want to you want to keep the reservoir back from deflating by adjusting the O2 flow rate to keep the reservoir back one third or, or halfway full of uh, full on inspiration. You want to make sure the reservoir back for the partial rebuilder max is never deflated. You want to also assess the fitting of the max on the client face. These are things you want to inspect. The last one under the low O2 max is the non-rebreather max. The non-rebreather max also covers the mouth and the nose. The non-rebreather max delivers up to 10 to 15 liter per minute of air. It delivers 10 to 15 liter per minute of air. Now, in this particular non-rebreather max, uh, what is important under here is this max provide up to 60 to 100 percent of air when it is in full swing it delivers the highest o2 possible concentration among the low of among the low o2 flow mass so this particular non-rebreather mass delivers the highest o2 concentration when it comes to this mask the non-rebreather max also um, it has a one-way valve between the mask and the reservoir which allow the client to inhale maximum O2 from the reservoir bed. The two exhalation ports have flips covering them that prevent room air from entering the mask. So despite this mask does not have um, rebreather area but it has some flips that prevent the room air from entering the client airway that's why it does so that's why it has those two flips on the side of the match on both sides um so you want to perform our assessment for this max and make sure it is in place all this match i talk about the simple this the simple the partial rebreather the non rebreather they can cause claustrophobia. This, the nasal camera does not cause it because it is going directly in the nostrils. It does not cover the nose and the mouth, but the other marks do. So just remember that as you go along. Any questions so far on airway management of the, the, the tail push on how to do with the marks? Now, the last two are referred to as the high airway O2 delivery system. Those last two marks you have the Ventura and the aerosol marks. So the Ventura and the aerosol marks are under the high O2 delivery system. The Ventura, the Ventura and the aerosol. So they are among the, they are among the high O2 delivery system. Now, you can do more reading on these marks. They are in one of our audios. If you scroll down in our question, uh, in our audio bank, you'll see these topics. You can go over it. You can listen to it.
to them at, your, at their leisure time. So um, the Ventura Max delivered up to between 4 to 12 liters of air per minute. The Ventura Max. Yeah. Then uh, the Aerosol Max delivered up to 10, at least 10 liters of air per minute. So the least air it delivered is 10 liters per minute for the Aerosol Max. So you can look at these marks at your leisure time on our in our audio bank. You can see um, you will hear a lot of important things on it, or you can also read it on your own. Any question? When it comes to the airway, flying on artificial airway, suctioning is one of the most important tools. We want to use to create comfort and satisfaction for the client. It prevents the client from irritation and other airway difficulties. Suctioning. Uh, we can suction in three different ways. We have oral suction, we have nasal suction, and we have endotracheal suction. So there are three ways we can suction the client through the nose. That is aura to the mouth. I'm sorry, to, to the mouth is aura, to the nose is nasal, and to the trick is endotracheal. So there are three ways the client can be suctioned. The client is suctioned when the client exhibits signs of hypoxemia, which include a drop in the pulse oximetry reading. If the client does not have pulse oximeter on, you can see the client, the client will become restless, they will become irritable, they will become tachycardic, and they will, they will have drop in the breath rate, and they will, they will be drop in the depth of breathing. These are signs to tell that the client is having hypoxemia. What is important on here also, the client will have decreased SpO2 levels. The client, will, you, you will hear the adventitious breath sound or lung sound when the client has hypoxemia. And the client will also have, you have, you hear those audible breath sounds on the client's lungs. Even without auscultation, you will hear it, it will be very clear even yet when you stand next to the client. Um, when you have suction, when you are suctioning, let's look at a few things that we, that we put in place to suction. You want to always wear gloves to suction the client because you are dealing with what body fluid. Um, then you want to also assess the client to a high fowler position or a fowler position when the client is being suctioned. You never want to lay a client supinely if the client is having uh, secretion in the mouth or in the central airway. You don't do that. You. Also, want to encourage the client to breathe deeply, to do deep breathing and cough. These are things you want to ask the client to do. You want to obtain baseline breath sounds and all the client's vital signs, including the client's O2 saturation by the pulse oximeter. You want to monitor the client O2 saturation continually during the procedure when the client is being suctioned. Because the SAO2, which is the oxygen saturation, determines the client comfort they enjoy at the point of on 
artificial airway. Any indication of a drop in O2 saturation, the alarm goes off and it should catch our attention to come in and do assessment and know what's the cause, um, the pause saturation, the, the, the O2, the O2 uh, saturation is dropping. We also want to make sure that uh, um, when we are doing oropharyngeal suctioning, when we are doing oropharyngeal suctioning, we want to make sure that uh, we use a young collar or a tonsil tip rig character and move the character around in the mouth, the gum line, and the pharynx. Like uh, we, we, the character should be used in the client mouth. The the tip of the suctioning character should be used in the client mouth, in the gum line, going jaw to jaw, side to side, to take out the secretion within those areas. Because it is in those mucous membranes that you're going to have saliva accumulating, you're going to have the client salivating, you're going to have the client having secretion coming from those areas. So you're going to go in the gum line in here and suction. In the mouth, in the pharynx, you want to go a little bit down and suction the client airway to create clearness of the airway. If you don't do that, the client will have a uh, heavy, bre heavy breathing sound, or the client might be having some adventitious breath sound. Now, we use the young coil, it's young coil character, or we use what we call the tonsil tip, young coil or tonsil, tonsil tipped character. So this is called the young coil or the tonsil tipped character. You can look at them on YouTube or look at them on Google to know how they look like. Um, you also want to for this particular nasal pharyngeal and the nasal trachea suctioning, you want to use a flexible catheter and lubricate the distal tip six to eight centimeter with water-soluble lubricant. It should be lubricated to prevent damages to the pharynx or the distal portion of our buccal cavity. Um, you want to make sure a client when a client is being suctioned, you want, to, you want to use medical asepsis for the mouth. You want to use surgical asepsis for the for for other type of area. So for the mouth, we use medical asepsis. If we are using the nose, we are using the the, the trachea. We want to use surgical asepsis. We know what the both stand for. Surgical asepsis get rid of all of the microbes we should have a microbe free environment with surgical asepsis we should have a lesser micro uh, like we should be able to like, uh, reduce the micro presence when it comes to medical asepsis and we should be able to eliminate micro in the case of surgical asepsis because in surgery we do not need micro to be around if micros are around they put a client at risk for so many things but in other medical procedure, like getting pure medication, uh, passing, uh, other, doing other procedure, 
we wear clean gloves. That becomes medical asepsis. In surgery, we use the clean glove to set up the, to, to clean the environment. Then we use surgical glove to do a procedure. Because in surgery, we do not need bacteria, virus, or any other microbes. We need a microbe-free environment. That's why we have a sterile fee to provide or to, to, to carry on a surgical procedure. Now, so you limit, you want to limit your time to suction, not more than 10 to 15 seconds. So you always want to limit it. It should not be above 5 to 16 seconds. You should not. So you will suction somebody, it should not go above 15 seconds. At least between 10 to, 10 to 15 seconds, you spend that time to suction a client. If that is done, you're done and you move ahead. These are things you want to remove for um, your anklets. Um, you also want to make sure you insert the catheter into the client nearest during inhalation. When the client is breathing in, that's when you put a catheter in the client nose, not when they are breathing out because they'll be a resistant. So when they are breathing in, that's when the catheter goes into the client nose. So these are just a few things I want you to know about. Any question about suctioning? Tracheostomy is a sterile surgical procedure. When you hear the word tracheostomy, it is the procedure. It is an incision. It is a surgical incision created in the trachea. That's why it is called tracheostomy. Stomy or stoma is an opening created through a surgical means. So when you hear the word tracheostomy, it is the surgical incision created to provide an artificial airway for a client who has an airway obstruction. Simple as that. That's why it is, it is produced. Now, um, we can have a tracheostomy as, an, as a scheduled procedure or it can be an emergency. If you have a throat cancer or you have a problem with the esophagus, um, in that case, it could be scheduled. Take your time and come in and do the tracheostomy. Or it could be emergency, you had an accident, a road RT, a road traffic accident, and then there's an airway obstruction. We go in and create artificial emergency airway to help you breathe in and breathe out. So it could either be emergency or it could be a scheduled procedure when it comes to tracheostomy. Um, artificial airway can be placed three ways. So it is placed either oral tracheally, it is placed nasal um, tracheally or through the trachea itself. So there are three ways we can, we can do the artificial airway. Either place it through the mouth, through the nose, or it is done through the trachea itself. Now, the tubes varies. There are three kinds of trach tubes. You have one that is plastic. We have the trach tubes. The tubes, there are three kinds of trach tubes. It could be plastic. It could be steel. It could be silicon. So there are three kinds of trach tubes. The tubes we use to insert 
in the trachea or in the trachea something when, 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 when it's created it could be plastic tubes it could be steel tubes or it could be silicones now um the number the sizes are different they are long and short then we have the shapes are all different some are 50 degree some are 60 some are 70 some are 80 some are 90 degree at uh, 90 degree angle um there is no particular size or there is no standard size when it comes to the tracheostomy tube it's not standardized it is also um the, the airflow in out of the tracheostomy without air leakage meaning there is a cough tracheostomy so i want to understand this particular portion that is exactly where i'm going to spend much of my time for us to understand these things when we're talking about each area you will hear me talking about cough and coughless i want you to understand the word cough and coughless trick when we are talking about this various type of trick now in tracheas when we are doing trick somewhere we have the air will flow in and out of the trick without air leakage so if the air is flowing into the trick so this is a trick this is our neck right here the client is here and the client head is right here this is the client neck and you have the trick in the client neck like this the trick comes in here allows air to come from the outside to go in the opening and go toward the client lungs now in the case of the cough tube we have cough trick cough trick cough tricks are those tricks that will allow air to flow in and out of the client esophagus or the client trick here in short now when air is allowed to flow in and out without escaping meaning the client has a coughed tube the client has a cough tube so a cough tube does not allow air escape when the client is going through exhalation and inhalation that's one aspect another thing is um the outside of the cannula has a flank or neck plate that sit against the skin of the neck and has holes on each side of the attaching tars around the neck to stabilize the tracheostomic tube now under here so you have a trick coming like this like this now between the client skin and the trick itself between here there is what we call the trick collar it's like the shell collar so it allows the trick tubing whether it is, it is a plastic a silicone or it is a steel it prevents it from rubbing against the client's skin which could cause skin breakdown so that's the function of the collar on a trick another thing on the trick is uh, we have uncuffed tubes 
we have uncurved tools and tubes that are fenestrated. Now we have the curved tube. The curved tube does not allow air to escape. We have the uncurved, the uncurved tube, or we call it fenestration or fenestrated tube. Fenestrated tube. Now, we all know what fenestrations are. They are small holes on, on objects. When you hear fenestration, it means tiny hole that allows air to pass through at any point in time. So when it is coughed, it does not have fenestration. It does not allow air to escape when the client is breathing in and breathing out. If it is uncoughed, meaning it contains smaller fenestration, this fenestration will allow the client, when the client is breathing in and breathing out, it allows the escapes of air in and out of the client's trick. Now, the uncoughed tubes in place or capped allow speech. So this uncoughed tubes allow the client to talk because it has um, smaller openings that link the client trick to the vocal cord to make sound of the client mouth. In the cough tube, the cough tube is bypassing the client vocal cord, the client voice box. And that's the reason why a client with a cough tube cannot talk. A client who has an uncuffed tube that contains those little fenestrations can talk. <clears throat> also, um, clients who have a cough tube can be off mechanical ventilation, can breathe around the tube, and can use a specific valve to allow for speech. The cough is deflated and the valve occludes the opening. <clears throat> Let me go over this. This is important. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is where the endless questions lie when it comes to these different kind of cough and uncuffed tubes. Let's listen to this very keenly. When the tubes are uncuffed and fenestrated, meaning the client can talk. Now, Client can also talk when the tube is coughed, but there is certain uh, uh, thing that need to be done for the client to talk when the client has a coughed tube. What are those things that need to be done for the client to talk when the client has coughed tube? Now, if the client has coughed tube, the client can be off mechanical ventilation. Now remember the uncuffed tubes, even if the client is off the vent, the client can still breathe. Because we have the trick and we have the vent. The vent is the airway, is the air machine that will force air into the client's lungs. That's why we call it ventilator. So when you get the COVID-19 patient, they are on breathing machine. They are all we call the ventilators. So this ventilator can allow air to be forced into the client's lungs against the client resistance due, due, due to disease condition. 
Now, so in the case of the client being having uncoffed tube, the client can talk, but the tube is not cough. But the client has cough tube. The client will cannot the client cannot talk, but there are other exceptions which allow the client to talk. What are those exceptions? One, um, the client can breathe using a can talk using a specific valve for speech. So if the client has a cough tube, the client will use a specific valve to talk. So normally we have two kinds of tube. We have the cough and we have the uncough. So in the uncough, the client can talk. In the cough tube, the client cannot talk normally. They cannot talk normally. If they must talk, we use a specific valve. We use a valve for talking in the cough tube. Now, in this cough tube, let's see what's happening in here. The client uses a specific valve for speech. This valve, this valve um, helps the client. The valve will help the client. When the client has the valve, it deflates the client cough. The cough is deflated. And when the cough gets deflated, what happens there? There will be, uh, the valve will occlude the opening. Meaning, the opening will, uh, the valve will open. And when this occurs, the client can talk. So the client will need a specific valve to enable them to talk when the client has a cough tube. In short. Now, um, there are indications for a trick which include acute and chronic airway obstruction, edema, when there is burns, when there is some other reaction, like anaphylactic reaction. This, this problem will require us to have tracheostomy. So when a client has a severe burn, the client cannot breathe, we do tricky. If the client has a severe airway obstruction, we put in the trachea. If the client has a severe anaphylactic reaction due to other allergies or other things, we put in trachea something for the client to breathe. Or when the client has a neck surgery, when the client has neck edema, when the client has a long-term airway problem, indeed, we put in trachea for the client to breathe artificially. Any question? Now, let's look at the kinds or the types of artificial tubes. We have the single lumen and we have the double lumen. Now, the single lumen, we have the single lumen cannula, single lumen cannula. And we have double lumen cannula, double lumen. For the single lumen cannula, is for clients who have long and thick neck. Remember this very well. If a client with, with long neck, the client has long and thick 
neck. The client will use single lumen cannula for client with long and thick neck. Meaning if the client is big or obese, the client will want to, want to use the single lumen cannula. For the double lumen cannula, now in this particular type, you never ever, you never ever, never ever, never ever use this of a client who has, uh, who has so much secretion. If the client has so much secretion, we do not use this single lumen. When the client is having excessive secretion, excessive um, secretion is a contraindication in the use of for the use of the single lumen character. We never ever use this on a client with excessive secretion. We don't. Then we have the double lumen cannula. In the double lumen cannula, um, the client will have this all. It fits into the client outer lock space and there is an obturator which can come in. It can be a thin solid tube that provide um, that, prov that. So for the double lumen cannula, it has an inner cannula. So this has, it has, uh, it has an inner cannula, it has an outer cannula, and it contains an obturator, obturator. There are three parts of the double lumen. So it has inner and outer cannula, or inner and outer cannula, and it has an obturator. Now, um, this device allows removing, cleaning, reusing, discarding, and replacing the cannula with a disposable inner cannula. It is useful for clients who have excessive secretion. So when the client is having increased secretion, we can use the double lumen cannula for these clients. These are things we use for these clients. Um, also under here, then we have the cough and coughless tubes. Now we have the cough and coughless tube. There are some tubes that contain cough, the cough and the coughless tubes, coughless tube and the cough tube. Now the cough tubes has a balloon. So it has a balloon that when we, inf when we insert the cough, there's the cough in the, tr uh, in the trachea, there's the client neck, there's the client neck here, there's the client hair. Now the cough, when the cough goes in, when the tube goes in, the tube contains a cough. The cough could be like this. It's a balloon. Just as you can see the balloon for the urinary catheter. But now, there is a difference between the urinary catheter balloon and the cough balloon. Now, in the urinary catheter, 
the balloon is in there to prevent the character from sliding out. That's why we will inflate the urinary character when we insert the character incline who have urinary problem. So when you pull, when the balloon is inflated, when you try to pull out the character, the character cannot come out because the balloon prevents the character from coming out. Unlike the balloon in the trachea stomach, it is not there to prevent the character from to prevent the character uh, the character from coming out in trachea stomach. Now, the balloon is inflated around the outside of the distal segment of the tube to protect the lower airway by producing a seal between the upper and the lower. So, the balloon in the trachea stomach it protects the lower airway. It put itself as a demarcation between the upper airway and the lower airway. That's the function of the balloon in tracheostomy. This is an endless question. So the, the, the mom asked the nurse, why is it always you're going to put in a balloon, you're going to inflate the balloon when you insert the character? A, to prevent the character from sliding out. B, it serves as a line of demarcation between the upper and lower airway. C, it is in there to prevent moisturization. D, when it is in there, it does not allow the client to have more secretion. What's the correct answer? It's B, it is in there to, to serve as a barrier between the upper and the lower airway of the client. Now, this cough tube is a cough tube. In this cough tube, in the cough tube, it is cough because it has a balloon that we inflate. That's the cough. We call it balloon. In, that's what we call the cough tube. The cough tube permits mechanical ventilation. So if we having a cough tube on, meaning the client can get on ventilator, ventilator, the client can get on this. So that's why we say trick. We say trick and vent. Now. You've seen a client who only have on the trick and does not use breathing machine. He or she breathes on his or her own. So if the client has a coughless trick, the client can breathe without using the machine. If a client has on a cough trick, the client will need to breathe through a machine. That's why clients are having the Kind of having a trick that when you insert you, you, you feel the cough, they will always have a ventilator by the bare side that will help them to breathe in and out. Now, the cough tube prevents aspiration of oral pharyngeal secretion. When you have the cough tube on, also, it prevents the client from aspirating their own secretion. The cough tube also, um, they do not hold in place. So the cough tube can be removed easily. It can slide out. Not because it is called cough tube, meaning the cough will hold it in place. No. The cough tube can be removed at any point in time, which we call decanalization. It can be decanalized at any point in time, meaning it can be removed. It can fall from it. It can, it can, it can put with, with, with just the easiest and the simplest procedure. Done for the client, what the client is on that cough tube, it can, it, it can slide for him. And we'll look at what the nurse can do if the, 
if the if the check got dislodged, we'll talk about it. Now, the cough tube prevents the client from while from speaking. So remember this well: the coughless, the client can speak. The cough tubes, the client do not speak. If the client who has a cough tube needs to talk, there is a specific valve that can be used to allow the client to talk when the client is having the cough tube implant. But no matter of the cough tube, the client cannot talk because the cough tube, it has a cough, remember, that serves as a demarcation between the upper and lower airway. And when that is in place, the client vocal cord is being bypassed. And if the vocal cord is being bypassed, the client cannot make sound because that is the client voice box in the cough tube. In the coughless tube, we'll see what happened in the coughless tube in just in, uh, in a few minutes. So the cough tube, the client, the children do not require a cough tube. So children, 99% will not use cough tube. They will use coughless tube unless contraindicated. Then we have the coughless. In the coughless tube, in the coughless tube, what's happening in the coughless tube? The client has no balloon. There is no balloon in the coughless tube. So if this is a coughless tube, this there will not be a balloon in here. There is only going to be an opening out here like this that comes in this form. This is the client neck. This is the client neck. And this is the tube. Uh, this is the trick. So the trick is open. And the coughless tube does not require mechanical ventilation. So the coughless tube will not have breathing machine like a ventilator in the coughless tube. The coughless tube um, are for clients who have long-term airway management. I guess you've seen people at your job site, at, your web, at where you go to work, even on the street, in offices, they have a cough to that, to that trachea and they're moving around freely. But the trachea has a veil. It has something called the HME that cover it and prevent particles from going in there and allow the client to have humidifier air. That's the function of the HME when it comes to the, the, the coughless trick. Now, the client must be at low risk for aspiration. The coughless tubes are not for clients on mechanical ventilation. These are endless points. This coughless tube, they are not for clients on mechanical Ventilation. When you hear the word mechanical ventilation, it means clients who are on ventilators. They are on ventilators because they cannot breathe on their own. So this machine will force O2 into the client lungs. That's the function of ventilators. Now, in the case of COVID-19, when the client contracts uh, COVID-19, the virus creates fluid in the client lungs when there's a fluid in the client lung the lungs become congested with that the client cannot breathe in O2 they will have shortage of breath because the airway their lungs are not empty enough 
to take in the requisite amount of O2 and put out CO2. So, so they cannot breathe well. So in this case, they will have air hunger. So we use this MV, mechanical ventilator, to forcibly send air into the client lungs. But with the coverless tube, the client does not need MV in coverless tube. Also in coverless tube, um, the client in coverless tube, the client, the device allows the client to speak. So the client will talk in coverless tube. That is what I want you to understand again. Then the last two. Now, there are two things I'm going to talk about here. We talk about coverless tube that, that does not require ventilators, does not require the client uh, to have it on the whole time. The client can talk and other things. Now, we have what we call There are two things here. We have fenestrated, fenestrated with cough and without cough. Fenestrated with with cough and without cough. Now this means um, there's a tube. When it, we have Sorry, let me read here so you can have a better scene. So, finish that tube with cough and without cough. And you have fenestrated tube without cough. There are two things here. We said this word means there are openings on the tubing. Fenestrated tube with cough without cough so there are two kinds of fenestrated tubes one of the fenestrated tubes contains cough and one does not contain cough let's see the one with cough the one with cough has a has one large or multiple opening so you have a tube going to the trachea that contains one big opening here like this and it goes to the trick uh, it, it, it goes to the it goes in the airway it has one big opening which allows air to come in it is there is an opening with cough it, it got opening and in here there's a cough in the client trick here there's a cough the balloon is right here so this contains an opening and other contains balloon. I would say the opening means it is fenestrated and the balloon means with cough. So in this case, it has opening, it also has a cough. Now, in this case, it ha also has an inner cannula. This can allow mechanical ventilation. So the one with cough and with the hole. This allows MV, mechanical ventilation. So when it is penetrated and it has a tube, it has a cough, meaning the, now this means there are clients who have cough, the cough has opening, and yet still the need, the, the not still breathing well. So take for example, this client can walk around during the day, 
complete their ADLs without machine to breathe, but they still have the cough in. At night, when they're about to go to bed, they will connect this tubing to the O2 machine, which is the ventilator, and they will put it on, and the machine will help them when they are falling asleep to pump air into the airway. That is the significance of the ventilator tube with cough. Normally, at the first portion of our lecture today, we said when the tube is fenestrated, it does not require mechanical ventilation and the client can talk by themselves. Now, but there are still clients who have these tubes that are fenestrated that got holes on them, but the client cannot still breathe well at night. So in this case, the client would need MV to breathe when they are in bed. Then we have the one without cough. So the one without cough is like this. This is the client neck. So this one has an opening here like this. Goes to the client neck. It comes here like this. Go in the client neck. Now, in here, there is no cough here. It does not have a balloon. So it goes straight into the client into the client. Uh, a trick there's not have, so that was it that's, that's how they call it furniture tube without cough it does not contain a balloon so it goes into the client trick here it has an opening which is called the fenestration and it is without cough this is without this means without but does not have a cough this the first one has an opening which is called fenestration and it also have a cough the balloon, this is the balloon. This, this is the fenestration right here. This has an opening which is called fenestration, but does not contain a cuff. There is no, there is no, there is no balloon. And in this, it is removing the inner cannula allows the client to allow, it allows air into the openings. That's what happening here. So, um, these are things you got to know. Now, um, you want to keep the keep the following at the best side. Whenever a client is on trick, keep the following at the best side. One, you want to keep one the client size and one smallest size. So you want to keep two tubings, two tubings at the client best side, meaning two cannula, two at the client bed side one is the client actual size meaning the size that fits the client the client actual size is one and the next one is a size that is smaller than the client side than client size the reason you are doing that is just in case the tube is removed accidentally and you cannot put the client actual size in for the client to start breathing, which takes a little bit of skill to do that. You will always insert the smaller one that is smaller than the client opening. So that will just slide in easily without problem. So if the client size is like a, like a nickel, so you have two tubings. You have one tubing that's ha that has a nickel sized 
lumen and you have one tubing that has a penny size lumen so this is this one is hard to enter because it will require skill you have the same size you will, if, if, if this cannot enter fast the smaller one will just go in fit in at least to help the client to start breathing until you can call uh the press you can call the therapist to come and put it in to a good time um you want to provide okay so you want to have two size tubings by the client bare side you want to have uh up to rater the third thing here is up to rater what's the up to rater the up rater is look at this thing on google or youtube it's a it's a smart uh, uh it's a small uh it's what we use to insert into the that we use it to, to, to insert into the client trick it's what i provide the guardians for the tubings to be inserted into the client trick now this operator you want to have the client bedside and you want to also have an o2 source you want to have them by the client bedside. You want to have suctioning uh, a character. You want to have a character by the client better to help the client suction the client. And you also want to have a BVN. BVN by the client bedside. Uh, you want to have this 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 thing coming in the end class as slow that I apply. What are the following equipment that needs to be with the client bedside? The client has tricky stomach. You want to have two sides of character, one large size, one equal size of the client lumen of the client incision, and one smaller size. Operator, O2 machine, social machine, and BVM. The bed, the, the, the bed valve marks we use to pump the client if the client become or uh, the client have needs air. So you want to give over care twice, twice uh, every two hours. Um, you want to like clean the client, trick and other things, and change the client. Uh, trick tube every six to eight, eight, eight weeks. So we change the client trick tube every six to eight weeks. Remember these numbers. Um, those are things you do for the client. Then we look at if the client tubing, if the client character got dislodged accidentally, what do we do? So if the client tubing got removed, it got decanalized accidentally, what do we do? Now, under here, there are two things. The first thing is if it happens within 72 hours hmm? after surgery what do we do if it happened after 72 hours after the procedure after the surgical procedure what do we do now when it is when it is this large within 72 hours this becomes an emergency. It is an emergency. Why? Simply because the incision is still 
healing. It has not healed. It's still young. The soul is still fresh. So in that case, if it got dislodged within the first 72 hours after the procedure was done, that requires an emergency replacement. The nurse cannot do that because it, it takes time because the, the opening is not mature. So to put it back in, it takes forever. Now, Now, so these are things you want to remember very well. Now, another thing is, if this happened to the client, it will require an emergency because the trick has not matured, like I said, and the, the, to replace it, it can be difficult. So the first thing you do is, you want to vent the client with BVN and cover assistant. So in here, the, the intervention would be you want to ventilate the client, ventilate the client with BVM. That's why you want to have the BVM as more well equipment for the client bedside. You want to ventilate the client with the BVM and then you want to call for assistance. As you call for assistance, call for assistance. So as you as you getting the client air through the airway and you calling for assistance in the first several two hours after the procedure if, the, if it got dislodged. Now you want to always keep the trick operator and two spare trick by the client bedside. If you are unable to put it back in you will administer O2 through the stomach. Now, let me go over. This is important. So if while you are doing the while you are doing the BVM and calling for assistance, if you cannot reinsert the tubing or the or the or the or the color, you will do it. If you cannot do that, you will provide, you will do it manually. You will insert the tubing into the client trick itself. Meaning, if you cannot use the operator, the operator is that small tubing that is, is made from silicone, plastic, or steel. It is there to insert and create firmness to the tubing as it is being inserted into the client, uh, into the client trick. Now, if you cannot do that, you want to use the tubing to insert the tubing directly into the opening, into the incision. Put it in there. It's painful. It might create some friction, but it is better to to start breathing than to create problem that will destroy the client. That's one. If you are unable to administer the O2 through the stomach, you occlude the stomach and put it through the mouth or nose. Let's, now, there are three things we're doing here. The first one is, if it is removed within the first second two hours, we use the BVM and call for assistance. Now, if that can work for us, we want to use the obturator and insert it back into the trick. If that does not work for us, we want to remove the obturator and use the tubing and put the, the, and put the tubing directly into the incision. That, 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 that's a terrible one. If that does not work for us, 
if we are so afraid, we are so shaky to insert that tumor into the client because it's a fresh sore, there might be blood coming up or there might be bleeding. If we cannot do that, the next thing is you want to occlude this portion. Use your hand. Cover the, cover the opening. Make sure and cover it. And take the O2 tumor and put it in the client's mouth or the client's nose. Because your goal is to introduce O2 to the client airway. If you do not introduce O2 to the client airway, the client will, after five minutes, the client will die because the brain can only live without O2 for a, a minimum of five minutes and you have brain problem. So if this cannot work, you occlude the trick opening with your palm and insert the character within the client nose or the client mouth to deliver air to the client lungs. That is the management for a client who trick got dislodged within the first 72 hours after the procedure. Any question? So if it got decanalized after 72 hours, in this case, in this case, in this case, the, the, the opening has healed and there is no sore, there is no fresh sore at the trick. In this case, what do you do? The first thing the client will do as a nurse with a client who has a trick that has been in place for more than three days, more than one year, more than four years, more than five years, the first thing you do is the trick is dislodged. The first thing you want to do is you want to hyper extend the neck and use the obturator and reinsert the trick and reinsert the camera back into the client tracheostomy. That's why you will have by the best side you have two tubings, one operator, one O2 source, you have all this equipment by the, and the BVN because everything becomes useful when this camera becomes dislodged. So the first thing you do, you will hyper extend the neck to give you visibility of the opening of the incision site to see there. So you, the first thing the nurse will do is to hyper extend the neck and use the operator so this can be the tubing and you have a steel a silicone or a hard plastic that is in here like this do you have you seen RV canola right so the RV canola has the plastic or the rubber that goes into the vein and remains in there and will pull out the metal that is in the canola so the metal in there create firmness so that we can fetch the veins and inside the IV. So for this tubing also, you have the same metal within the, in the plastic that provides firmness to the, up, uh, to the cannula when you insert into the client opening and, you and then you remove that obturator. So just as you have the needle inside the IV cannula, that's how you have the same similar object within the tubing for the trachea stomach. So it plays the same role. Just that in the IV, the needle in the plastic will help to create, will help to pierce the, pierce the skin. 
because the plastic that goes into the vein is too soft to pierce the skin and that's why if we miss the vein one or two times we have to discard that camera because the camera will become the plastic will become like a it will get weak and then it will spread out and we cannot get the vein anymore that's what happening in this case now we use um we hyper extend the neck with the operator insider into the tracheostomy tube and we quickly and gently replace the tube and remove the operator we secure the tube we ask we assess the tube placement by us cutting the long sound to hear what are we are to see what are we are hearing bronchovesicular breath sound which are normal breath sounds so when we insert the operator and the tubing into the client incision we, we remove gently and quickly remove the operator meaning it is in to make sure it is in the last thing we do is after securing the trick after, after, after securing it to the neck we listen to the long sound with a stethoscope to know how the client two lungs are working that will indicate that that o2 is being delivered to the client lungs that's how we check these things any question